And now with our production here in the Americas, we have a shorter lead time, closer near shoring for, for our customers. This will, I think, be advantageous in the long run strategically. The Uniformer. Insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms, image apparel, and public safety equipment. The Uniformer is a production of the Network Association of Uniform Manufacturers and Distributors, the NAUMD. Well, hello, everybody. Jeff Mason coming to you from the NAUMD Uniformer podcast. And we are very fortunate today to be here with Charles Wang of Winitex. Uh, Charles, hello. How are you today, sir? Very good, Jeff. How about you? Very good. Thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time out to... Uh, to uh, join us today, and we're very excited to to talk a little bit about um, what you know, uh, Winitex and the things you're doing in the uniform space. And I think there's a lot of listeners out there that'll um, really enjoy hearing from this 59 year old company. Is that am I right on that? That's right. That's right. Turning uh, 60 next year. Wow, that is absolutely terrific. And uh, yeah, Charles, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the business and we'll just uh we'll kind of roll a little bit you know roll from there yeah i uh got into the business uh in a rather convoluted way i studied medicine actually i grew up in michigan went to u of m and then went to uh, uh wayne state school of medicine and i never thought i'd get into textiles it's the family business of my wife and uh her grandfather founded the company and after med school Actually, that's the time where I saw some inefficiencies in uh, the medical system. And I was thinking about uh, getting an MBA. And I talked to my father-in-law, talked to my family, and they said, boy, you've been in school a long time. And uh, <laughs> you get an MBA, you're going to be in there a lot longer. You're, you're a young man. You have a family now. You better do something. And uh, they suggested that I work and learn. They said, business is not difficult. You need to learn. So I, I thought about that and I agree with them. So I went to McKinsey and I first started in their healthcare department. And then I went into their energy, which was based in China. At that time, McKinsey was doing a lot of factory turnarounds, helping SOEs privatize and list. And I got involved in a couple of those projects. Um, and my role there was best practice. So I went through the, uh, basically what McKinsey does for best practice for manufacturing. We try to implement those things, uh, suggest those things to to our clients. And uh, I talked to my father-in-law about what I was doing. He said, uh, you know, that's interesting. But, you know, McKinsey just leaves a paper trail, right? You know, you don't follow through. We got some factories. If you have some ideas, why don't you try it out? I thought, hmm, you know, that's interesting. So I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And then uh, 15 years went by <laughs> and here I am now. Incredible. Well, that is really, yeah, not too many. I don't think too many people uh, enter into the uh, the uniform textile manufacturing base uh, coming from a, an aspiration to be uh, a doctor. That's for sure. Yeah. Life uh, gives you different opportunities. Sure. And, uh, you know, there are people that ask me, well, do you feel you wasted a lot of your time studying medicine? You worked so hard. You got all your licenses. And I said, no, because at the end of the day, those challenges, those processes in life, you internalize, and you can use them in every aspect of life. And especially for business, I believe for business, it's about finding solutions. You find a lower energy input solution that currently maybe is higher energy input. And then you 
gain some profit from that energy difference. And that's what really medicine business is about. It's solving problems. And that's what I enjoy. Absolutely. Well, very, uh, very uh, cool vantage point. I love it. And uh, yeah, and, and folks, I just have to, this is really uh, special for me because uh, when I was at the NAUMD conference, I ran into a young lady who uh, happens to be your wife mm-hmm. and Yvonne. And uh, I, I said, hello, Winitex. Wow. I, I'm familiar with Winitex. Do you, uh, do you know Jacob? Wow. And she said, well, that's my father. And uh, so uh, interestingly enough, I had uh, been in the Winnetex offices in Hong Kong back in 1996. I'd sourced about, um, I sourced fabric from Winnetex on two occasions for some target private label programs I was doing. So I had some familiarity uh, with the company and with the, you know, um, really it was a very professional uh, enterprise back in 1996. And when I, I believe I met Jacob um, and it's, you know, and it just was really interesting that here I meet, uh, Avon at the um, at the uh, NAUMD conference, and lo and behold, and I kid you not, the twill pants that I wore on the night of the awards uh, were a pair of slacks using Winnetex fabric. I kid you not. Wow, thank so you. I, thank yeah, you. isn't that funny? So yeah. I had uh, I had that story to share uh, as well. So I thought that was pretty. Pretty cool. Well, I, I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there, you're a new name, Winitex, to the uniform space, certainly to NAUMD, not not merely, really the uniform space, but NAUMD. So if you could, Charles, um, tell the listeners a little bit about the Winitex story, if you if you might. Well, uh, Winitex was founded by Yvonne's grandfather, so Jacob's father. Um, he, during... Uh, basically, the Republic period before uh, the um, uh, the takeover by the communists, he moved from China to Hong Kong, and he worked in Hong Kong, started in the textiles business, and decided to own, open his own company. We started our first production in Hong Kong in 1964, and then that went quite well, especially during that time. Textiles was big in in Hong Kong, and then in the mid 90s, around 95. We started our first production site in China, which is in Hangzhou, about an hour outside of uh, China. At that time, I actually I was dating Vaughn back in college, and we visited the site. And I remember it took about five hours from Shanghai to Hangzhou. Uh, small roads. I think there was a ferry in the middle. It, it was a uh, quite a trek. Sure. But now, by high speed rail, took it takes about half an hour from Shanghai to Hangzhou. So China has changed a lot, especially infrastructure wise. That went very well. And then in uh, 2003, we opened our uh, second factory, which is in Shaoxing near Hangzhou. And that went well, especially uh, those around that time, China joined the WTO. So business for textiles, for our business, w- was doing very well, and for China as well. And now we have sites all across the world, uh, in China, in Vietnam, in Nicaragua, and we're also looking at other sites in uh, the Central America, Mexico region as well. And the Americas will be specifically focused on servicing our North American customers, especially workwear. So we're really talking now about an enterprise that, uh, as you as you mentioned, three global locations, 3,000 employees. Uh, traditionally, um, your fabric um, your fabric assortment has been more bottom weight and all wovens, correct? Is that right? Correct. It's mainly bottom weight uh, wovens, and uh, uh, three thousand was maybe um, in China itself. But we have uh, probably east side. It's about three thousand. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Wow. So more than that. Okay. I, I, yes. I read that wrong. Wow. Very, very cool. So uh, what would you consider today, you know, just for, for the uniform, um, you know, dealers and manufacturers listening, what is your proficiency or core competency as, as we talk today? I think for us, the key is we really have an understanding of the market and we adapt very quickly. And more importantly, we service our customers very well. The market is constantly changing. And even with workwear, things are uh, changing as well. Customers want something more comfortable, more fashion oriented. This is our kind of bread and butter because we came from the fashion industry. So this is something that we're very familiar with, that we can provide excellent solutions while understanding the requirements of our workwear customers. And the second is we have an international team that understands the mentality and the market of our customers so that we can develop products for them specifically. And now with our production here in uh, uh, the Americas, we have a shorter lead time, uh, closer near shoring <laughs> for, for our customers. This will, I think, be advantageous in the long run strategically. Yeah, nice. And, and and you were explaining yesterday, we had a little conversation yesterday or a couple of days ago that, you know, in Nicaragua, especially so in the 807 region, you've really got the ability from where you are to ship to either the uh, Pacific side of the, of the you know, um, sea or the Atlantic side of the sea. And uh, in your work and process time is um, is a little bit less than some other options out there because you're a vertical operation, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Um, our locations will be vertical, spinning, weaving, dyeing, and finishing. And then this we will can ship to our uh, partner um, garment factories in the region, whether it's ones owned by our, our um, end customers or ones that are independent. And we can take resources from both sides, whether it's the Pacific or the Caribbean side, and we can ship out from both sides. Yeah. So it, it, it decreases the lead time. And it's it's secure. Sometimes, um, as we saw during COVID, even if one was able to pay for it, there was just such uncertainty that may happen. And now that we're closer, we decrease that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's great because I think in our business, you know, we certainly want to look at the work and process times. It's very important. And, and you know, this this option now in Nicaragua uh, collapses some of that work and process time, tightens it up and allows us to, you know, have a speed to market that's a little bit uh, more advantageous than relying on the Asian hemisphere to, to you know, or the, you know, um, subcontinent uh, to do the production. So, yeah, so that's uh, very cool. Um, now, and I noticed uh, in our last conversation, which really was really great is you mentioned that your cotton, most of it, or if not all of it is purchased from the U S is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Uh, especially for the Americas here, we've purchased only American cotton and uh, it's, it's very advantageous for us because it's close. Um, and I think it's a great story because uh, we uh, buy from the American farmers, we produce it and the work where we ultimately uh, create for our end customers will go back into the economy in the U.S. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's very important for all of us to know that here that 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 you know that's where you're sourcing it from. So primarily, you are a a you know your cotton is your main um, fiber of of craftsmanship, and then you obviously do cotton blends. So cotton poly, poly cotton, uh, yes. is that right? Yes, correct. 
cotton poly poly cotton with some nylon well and it's a campus setup so the environment down there and and uh is is one where you actually house a lot of the workers and you you engage in feeding them and housing them and it, everything's centralized right there for uh a great day of work right Yes, absolutely. Um, our, our staff, uh, if we could provide housing for them, that's the best way because we want our workers to feel stable. We want them to feel at home uh, on the campus, and we want to give them a, a safe environment for them and for their families. In some of these countries, unfortunately, they're, they've experienced some bad times, uh, and we want to give them a, an alternative um, yeah. compared to some of the uh, worst options out there. Sure. Well, you're you know you're you're wanting to to help train uh, young men and women to uh, to have a leg to stand on, uh, you know, as far as a skill set uh, for their careers and to provide for their families. It's, it's a noble, uh, it's it, you know, it's a noble aspiration, and you're certainly delivering on it. And I, folks, if anybody wants to see it, winitex.com, um, w i w i n n uh, itex.com. And uh, you can look around there. You can see the campuses. They're very, the square footage is uh, is obviously very expansive and you can get kind of get an idea for, um, you know, what everything looks like in China and Vietnam and certainly Nicaragua. It's really impressive. Um, very cool. So um, Charles, what is your role with the company? What do you do on a daily basis? I am the uh, chief operations officer. So on the daily basis, basically, I look at the operational aspects of each location, and that is quite a wide variety of tasks. I have a lot of different hats. Uh, I look at the purchasing of raw materials. I, um, from the other end, I work with the end customer. Uh, I even work with some of the R&D. I make sure production is smooth. Um, each country has its own issues, whether sometimes there's labor, sometimes there's other issues that come up. Sometimes it's machines, sometimes sourcing. So every day uh, it's problem solving <laughs> and every day it's something new and interesting. Well, you folks, we're, we're, you can't see Charles uh, smile on his face, but, you know, going back to the McKenzie story, I can see problem solving is something that lights you up. And I think it is that what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yes, absolutely. That's one thing I really enjoy because um, what, for, for this business, there's always something changing. Uh, textiles, it sounds like, well, it's just fabric, but actually it, it, there's constantly new things happening. So for us, it's it's very interesting. And I enjoy solving the new problems uh, daily and tackling and meeting new people. So that's a lot of fun for me. Yeah, very, very interesting. And and you do welcome um, customers, anybody who is interested in sourcing fabric from Winitex. I mean, they could make a trip down to Nicaragua or or if they're in the uh, Asian hemisphere, they could uh, visit the facilities, correct? Yes, absolutely. Just contact me. I'll arrange uh, for them to visit. Um, any customers that want to get to know us, please contact Yvonne and myself. We're, we're happy to host them. And actually, during COVID, one of the projects I did was uh, to create videos for our uh, different sites. So we have a corporate video and then a video of each of our locations, uh, production locations. And actually it's a 360 video. So if they had uh, uh, 3D glasses, they can actually go through it virtually. And I, you know, speaking of COVID, I mean, what did you, what did Winitex learn from that, from that pandemic, uh, you know, experience? What, what did you learn and how did you change from that? I think COVID really accelerated what was going to happen in the five to seven uh, year time frame. I think uh, that was compressed into two, three years. Basically, we learned that, well, there's going to be a, a, a 
a separation, let's say, between China and, and the U.S. We have to be careful about our logistics. Uh, we have to find ways to develop a full solution, like an industrial park with, that's fully vertical on this side of the hemisphere. And also, we have to be a little bit more careful with, with COVID, how we um, uh, do our inventory, how we, uh, we have to be even more leaner than before. Sure. It really makes you realize that, you know, uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, the other thing, a lot of uh, manufacturers have realized, not only do you have to be leaner than the before, but on the, on the, um, you know, certainly retail side of the fence and some of the e-commerce businesses and some of the menu, um, some of the uh, dealers, they really realized inventory became king during that time. And, yes. you know, you had to look at your inventory positions much differently and perhaps devote more dollars to having. Was that the same thing on the raw materials side of the fence for you guys? Yes. Uh, raw materials uh, and prices got quite high. Sure. And it's actually, for from my perspective, it's a balance because uh, what we saw was that uh, some of the customers, uh, our, our customers, they were in such a rush to get the inventory and they accumulated quite a bit. And then after COVID, after we came out of COVID, things slowed down a little bit, and then they had more info inventory than they expected. Sure. So I think a, a more of a holistic view, I think that's another lesson from COVID, to have a holistic view of your inventory and your planning for the next six months to a year plus out. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I, it's an interesting statement because, you know, certainly raw materials, I think a lot of us fell into a... Uh, I wouldn't say a trap, but we fell into a, a, a lane of traffic where we operated just in time in a lot of cases. And I, yeah. I just don't think that JIT mentality uh, is, is is fit for this day and age. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And especially, I think, um, throughout the supply chain, I think from all the way from the, the cotton farmer to the end customer, we have to figure out how we work together to grow this pie together. And that means communicating. That means also sharing some risk and planning together. So on the people side of the fence, on the on the human resource side, what lessons did you learn from, from the uh, pandemic? And I mean, and how have you a, as a global entity, you know, looked at your human resources differently? I think I'm a lot more familiar with Zoom than I ever was before. <laughs> and True. now that uh, basically most of our meetings are done on, on Zoom. So that's very interesting for me that uh, now um, our, our communications are more electronic, yeah. which which actually brings a high efficiency if it's done properly. Sure. Uh, that's one. I think uh, the second is, I think, uh, again, through covid understanding people, managing people well, and finding, you get to see what people, their their mindset are, how how well of uh, a plan they have, with, whether it's with our company or others, by going through something like COVID. Yeah. Um, some people are a little too conservative at the times. Uh, some people are a little too optimistic or negative. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of, again, basically shortening that uh, time frame where we would have learned this process in, in three to five years, we learned it in one or two. Um, so retention of of, of people, uh, you know, this has certainly been a, um, you know, there's a lot of vacancies in in the staff um, in, in various staffs across our landscape of the uniform industry. And, you know, retaining good people uh, at companies has been a pressing issue. Um, how does Winitex address that today? 
I think um, as a company develops, uh, as a country develops, as a company develops, that that landscape changes. For us, one, uh, we're a family-owned business, so our staff have been with us. A lot of our staff since graduating from college, and and the right. key is to keep people um, with us, people we trust. We treat them like family. And we want that kind of culture to spread, uh, even within the factories. We, we want them to feel at home. And I think that's that's a key importance, that we have the right people. Uh, it's always really about the quality of the people. Right. And if there are, let's say, certain managers or individuals that may be top performers, but they, uh, they may not have the personality to give that comforting atmosphere, those are not the people that's right for us. Yeah. And I think that's that's quite important. You put a lot of weight on the hiring process, making sure you get the right um, the, the right fit in, in a person for the company that you are. Absolutely. I think um, really it's about the individual, because if the individual is somebody that's willing to learn, that can adapt, that works hard, that have the right ethics, they will be successful in whatever they do. So once they enter our company, we'll find a right niche for them and they'll find what's right for themselves. But the key is that that individual, this is something that we can't teach. We can teach them the technical stuff, but this is something they have in themselves. This is something that their family taught them. And that's what I think we want. Um, I appreciate all that feedback. And, you know, you, uh, Charles, you, you know, you've been with the company 15 years and you obviously, um, um, you know, Vaughn's been around it a lot longer. Well, you, Winitex has always had the notoriety as being innovators. I think you were one of the first companies um, in the Asian hemisphere to actually start using um, wider looms. You went, I think most of the cuttable width looms are 43 inches out in, in the, um, you know, Asian hemisphere. And you, so you've introduced 57, 58 inch cuttable um, what type of loom width are you using now predominantly in Nicaragua? Is it 57, 58 cuttable? Correct. Um, 57, the, usually, and we do this for our, our workwork customers just because they get a, a better efficiency from their automatic cutters. You're right, for, for Winitex, we started in the fashion business and the fashion business, everything's always changing. So we're always trying to find solutions for our customers. And bringing that into workwear is something very exciting because we can bring something innovative to the workwear space. And I think this is this is the right time. Yeah. When we first started on workwear, it was very traditional, 100% cotton, 65-35s, yeah. no stretch. Um, yeah. Once in a while, you get some crease, blues, blacks. And that's changing. And it really this change really fits with our, our strengths as Winnipeg's. Cool. And now uh, I, I can tell the audience here uh, with great, you know, assuredness that I, you know, the, the couple programs I did, I believe I was doing uh, one of them was a 108 by 56 um, uh, fabric that I ran. And then with the other was a 128 by 60, maybe 20 by 16s, I think I was using it. And what's interesting is, you know, the third party testing, of course, we had to test all this fabric for, you know, color fastest to light, like anybody does, tensile strength, tear strength all these things, shrinkage. And, you know, I, I can just remember vividly that, you know, the, the company I was with Oxford Industries at the time, and, you know, we just, we we noticed the test results came back so strong. I mean, it was just such a good, 
you know, buying decision going to Winitex Fabrics, the one we, you know, you could, yeah, because there's a lot of converters out there that are buying open market gray goods and, you know, and you're, you're the vertical operation doing it all and you just have more governances over things. And so I just, uh, I thought that was a great byproduct of, of making a buying decision to source Winitex Fabrics. And I would imagine that's, that's done nothing but get better over time, correct? Yes, correct. Thank you so much. Uh, and that's actually basically why we went step by step upstream. We started as a dyeing finishing mill, and then we started doing weaving in the 90s so that we can have a better control of our quality and to have better solutions for our customers. And ultimately, we went to spinning and we learned spinning. I actually had to go through that process. And that was a pet project of mine that I really enjoyed is right from the fiber, we can do things for our customers. We can ensure the quality. Yeah. Again, I'm in charge of purchasing the, the raw material as well so that we make sure right from the beginning, we have consistent quality throughout the process and yeah. we can create innovation at various steps for our customer. And we can also, with this kind of vertical integration, provide a scale of efficiency, which we pass down to our customers. Well, and you know, it's, so let, let me just uh, go, go, you know, spend some time on 6535 and cotton rip, for instance. I mean, I have a lot of familiarity with that uh, in the uniform space. And what was interesting when you, when you start chasing a lot of production needs and you start buying open um, market gray goods that now you're sending to a converter, what, what tends to happen, and, and I, I'm going to let you speak to this a little bit, is that, you know, if you're buying gray goods from Pakistan and you're also blending productions with with gray goods that are coming from northern China, you know, you've got different insects, you've got different soil, you have different, um, you've got different effects on the fabric. And so then when you start, you know, testing these things, when you start looking at shrinkage and tensile strength and tear strength and all those characteristics that in the uniform industry are extremely essential to have, you know, a product that year to year, Die lot to die lot, you know, production run to production run has to be consistent and and speak to that a little bit, because being a vertical operation, you've got the ability to govern that. And, and I, I would particularly like you to speak to in this, the traceability of raw materials. You have that yes. baked into your company DNA. So so speak to that whole ball of wax, if you could, because I think the listeners would want to hear that. Yes, every roll of finished fabric shipped from Winitex has a QR code, which can be scanned and has all the information about how this roll of fabric is created from the chemistry to the raw material. And you're absolutely right from the raw material is very important, especially in the cotton, because for, for our production, we select the right blend and we keep it consistent, consistent strength. And especially for dyeing the micronair, if you're sourcing from different areas, the cotton will be different and it will absorb the dyes differently. It will perform differently. Right. So then you're going to have a lot of lot changes. And this is something we don't do. For workwear, we do it all in-house just so that we can have that consistency. The second is during the, uh, the even the spinning process, how it's done, whether it's OE, whether it's um, MBS, how you're doing the blends, how you're doing the efficiency, how are you testing strength, you're getting inconsistencies if one was to buy from different suppliers and sometimes that just happens and weaving let's just say we set everything up um we give the requirements to let's say if we were to source from other people but one of the things is what what kind of sizing are they using the sizing is a starch base is do they are they adding wax is it other things this also 
affects the performance because during the dyeing process, you have to take that size off. Is it environmentally friendly? Is it hurting the fabric? There's so many variables if one wants to source from outside that causes inconsistencies in the final fabric, especially for workwear. That's why it's so important to have something that's vertical and getting it right, right from the beginning where we are traceable not only on the fabric, but also on the cotton. For each, we buy American cotton, so each bale is traceable with the, the bale ID. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, the sizing and everything. I mean, this is so important in that, in that part of the production process. And, and this is where I would encourage people, you know, if they really want to learn more about it, you know, spend some, you know, reach out to you and try to, you know, get a trip to Nicaragua, um, put on the calendar because, you know, you're going to be able to see things in action like this. And again, I think that when you, you know, you take a look at just color, you know, you could expose if you're buying gray goods from various geographic locations, Pakistan, Egypt, you know, Australia, New Zealand, you know, northern China, and you're exposing it to the same Sibagaygi, uh dye stuffs, it, those fabrics are going, those gray goods are going to absorb it and then interpret it in the visual appearance differently. They just are. Absolutely. And and there's no way around that. And, you know, when you're speaking to an end user that says, why does, why do my 1800 employees have six different shades of Navy on their bodies when I really want, you know, a tighter shade band? Well, one of the ways to achieve that is to go to a vertical operation that. Absolutely. You know, and, and what's even more important are the washdowns, especially for the rental workwear customers. And. Uh, unfortunately, there are companies, let's say if they're dying and they're getting inconsistencies, they might do a little over dyeing just to make sure that uh, yes. a little dye stuff on the surface to make sure it looks consistent. But those things don't last on the washdowns. Yes. That's really important. And for us, we test it out. We have our own industrial laundry machines. We test it out to 100 IL. Internally, we test out to 120. So we make sure our washdowns are very, very consistent. Very good. Very well. I really appreciate you spending some time on that. I'm glad we we flushed some of that out because it really is, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times, you know, we can simplify it too much on the end user end and on the, um, you know, the customer wearing experience. And when they really, you know, you've, you it's not as simple as it may seem. It's a little more complex. And, you know, there's there's definitive reasons why your, you know, fabrics, your your garments are shrinking at different rates and they're looking you know they're they're fading at different rates you know the the fade rate um is is something that again comes with you know where you're the multiplicity of the you know regions you're sourcing gray goods from could have an effect on that so i think it's a uh, great stuff and thank you for spending time on that um where, where do you i mean when it takes in the future what do you what do you have on the horizon as what are you embarking on as far as um innovation and developments over the next couple of years I think uh, one of the key things is to introduce more um, comfort and performance to our customers, even uh, some uh, some fashion concepts to our workwear customers. I think that's been very popular. I think stretch will be big. If you don't have stretch, uh, it's hard to stay in the workwear yeah. business in yeah. the future. Before um, uh, it was ladies, but even I myself, uh, I don't want to go back to <laughs> non-stretch <Yeah>. pants. <laughs> so I think that that's very important. And also some uh, things that look sharp, that look fashionable sure. um, and that performs well, that's environmentally friendly and sustainable, and that's traceable. 
So I think uh, these are aspects that we're working very hard on and that we have been successful and we think will provide uh, more and more innovative products for our customers in the coming years. Sure. And and your, your sustainability and all that uh, information is is well presented on the website. So anybody uh, looking for that can can certainly find it there. And I think it's interesting, you know, you have this fashion background. One of the things in the uniform space now, especially when you get to hospitality, when you get to the airline industry, I mean, you want sharp looks, you want something current, you want something that has some fashion built into it and functionality and durability. And yes. so I, you know, what's cool about you guys, you have that fashion uh longevity in your in your company dna and so you shop the markets you understand what's current you know trends are what current fashion trends are across the globe is that is that right or wrong absolutely we we keep it a priority and we still do quite a bit of uh, fashion for our company so we, we keep it a priority to stay ahead of the game with winnie we're a little different from other companies in the sense that it's now a customer coming to us saying, okay, this is what we want. Can you guys make this? What price? Um, we basically do the R&D for our customers. We know what our customers want and yeah. we present to them what, what we think is the future. And usually we're, we've been quite good at that. So we are quite, very well in touch with the market trends, whether it's the fashion side or let's say new technologies in the, the comfort or the performance or even the production side, that we can keep keep our company at the leading edge, and we can translate that into volume for our, uh, for our workforce customers. Yeah, well, very very good. I, I appreciate that. What do you, um? What do you? I mean, as an outsider, fifteen years ago coming into it, now you're you know you're you're settled into uh, the, the operations side, and your Nicaragua is up and running. Um, and, and, and working well, what do you see in this industry that uh, that we need more of or that we're missing in the uniform industry at this point? Hmm. Or if I any. think um, for the American workwear industry, to be honest, I see there are a lot of opportunities. I believe there is uh, more of a need for innovation. I think the customer wants that. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time for, for, for them to get too used to it. And what I meant by innovation were the three things I was talking about. I was talking about whether it's uh, performance, uh, comfort, and sustainability. And also, we need more nearshore solutions. To be honest, I think there's not enough for on this side of the hemisphere. And uh, Asia, I think, will always have the advantages over there. But one of the key things is to build up that supply chain. It's not just a dye factory, but a full supply chain over here on this side of the hemisphere. No, I I think that's a a well put. I think that the more we can, you know, we kind of abandon, you know, we had all this infrastructure and we had all this uh, supply chain down pat in the 90s. And we started to just, you know, on the USA side here and in the, you know, certainly shift a lot of our energies manufacturing and raw materials wise to 807, which is the, you know, uh, down where you are in Nicaragua or, you know, out to Asia for sure. And then we kind of left ourselves vacant and in a position where we were, if we had to quickly uh, rely on, you know, the North American community for raw materials and supply chain needs, it, it wasn't there. And so, you know, you're part of a building up that, you know, building that back together here, knitting that back together for us. 
And, yeah. and it, you speak to work in process times. I mean, if, if someone were to place an order for fabric, um, you know, Monday, I mean, what, what are you looking at in terms of X factory uh, timing on something like that? Um, it's, it's a rather complicated question because uh, if they place an order, it depends on if it's something that we already do yeah. or if it's a product that's completely new that we're developing for them. Um, if it's something that we are already doing, that's um, something that is just for a new customer, the, the turnaround time is quite quick. Uh, we can make that, um, let's say, uh, and also depends on how busy the factory is. Um, I don't want to give uh, uh, exact dates and not be able to follow up on those, but um, it's we try to make sure that we satisfy every okay. customer on a timely matter. If it's something with development, um, and we're very good at having very fast development uh, compared to uh, the companies uh, that other companies I know about there. Now, I want to go back a little bit to sure. what you were saying um, before about um, North America, especially the U.S. What I think for, for this industry, one of the key things that I see is not only the loss of factories, it's the loss of experts that are going into this field. The U.S. probably had the world's leading experts in textiles in the 70s, 80s, um, maybe early 90s. And uh, there was a lot of patents made. Um, basically, the world was falling where what the U.S. set. And those individuals, those professionals have gotten older, they retired, um, some have passed on, and there's not enough new blood here. Yeah. I think that's that's what I see. There are people that are uh, studying textiles, maybe they're going to sales, but really understanding the core technology, really understanding how to develop that. I think we need more of those here in the States. Yes, I I, I would agree. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, my, my father-in-law is from Argentina and he was part of this, this, they needed chemical engineers back in the 60s. So they went down to South America and in particular got about 6,500 of these, um, you know, college graduates and brought them into the States. And my, my father-in-law was uh, hired by Millican Textiles. And so Millican mm -hmm. brought him in and said, hey, as long as you work for us for a couple of years, we want you to learn, you know, we'll, we'll pay for your school but we need you to come over here and, you know, hopefully you'll stay with us. And, but, you know, sign a two-year contract. And, you know, he went to ExxonMobil after that, but, but you're right. There was a, there was a real feeder um, element to, you know, textile to the collegiate academic end of textiles that is probably fallen off. I, I haven't, you know, read up on it enough to know, but you're, you're living it. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's true. You know, the more we can shift and start to build a pipeline of interested academic, um, you know, involvement. I mean, it's there. There's some colleges that certainly focus on it. No question about it. But um, yeah, I think the more we can build that back up, then we can have enthusiastic people that are ready to ready to go and ready to plug and play. Absolutely. And especially these days, there's so many exciting things going on. You know, yeah. an individual doesn't need to exactly go to a textile school, but as long as this individual learns about material sciences, yeah. manufacturing processes, uh, it's, it's all engineering, electric, electricians, it's all very interesting. Absolutely. And, and and if they're like you, they're smiling at the fact that they get to problem solve every day. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it, I mean, it lights a fire. Right. So. Um, so let's let's ask a question. So you have let's say you've got some kids and, you know, they're, they're wondering what to do for their career. Would you recommend this industry for for any of your loved ones or family members? For me, yes. 
Um, this is a, it's not an easy industry. Um, I think you have to pay your dues, but what's beautiful about this industry is once you're in a position where you can make decisions yourself, you can take it in any direction you want. Yeah. For example, if you like the fashion side, the artistic side, you can do that. If you want the technical side, you can do that. Let's say workwear and manufacturing. If you like the high tech side, there's things to do in that. So there's so many options that a person can do and express themselves and delve into in this industry. That's very, very interesting. And it's not a overly congested industry. Yeah. So there's a lot of room to grow for an individual to really make an impact. You know, I don't know about other people. I've, I've certainly talked to people in, in the apparel industry, not so much the uniform, but you know, once we, once we get into it and it happened to me, once I got into it in 1992, it just bit me and I, it was contagious. I really loved it. Of course, you know um, you know, not everybody has that experience, but I hope more people have that than don't. And I think this industry is exciting. There is, um, there is a need for good people to come into it. We are, uh, definitely, uh, you know, we are definitely a industry that is more creative than a lot of people think. We're more innovative. We are more technically advanced than a lot of people probably think. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it is an exciting, it's an exciting atmosphere to be part of. Um, Absolutely. But, Charles, if you got, if you could speak on behalf of Winnitex and just, if you could select, um, you know, the most important message you could leave with listeners today about Winnitex, what would that message be? Winnitex, we're here to provide a solution for our customers that I think not only will they be satisfied, but they'll be amazed. And that is my personal goal. And we look forward to doing this with our customers and working together with them to create something that's amazing. And I am very optimistic about that especially in this hemisphere. Well, Charles, is there anything I forgot to ask you that you'd like to highlight or anything else you would like to share with the audience? Um, we're just uh, we're just talking about this industry. And one thing is what I really enjoyed about this industry, not only all the different aspects that one can get into, this industry, what I really love is the people in this industry. I've always had great experiences with the people in this industry from the cotton farmer to the end customer, it's, you know, once in a while, you know, you might have a difficult conversation, yeah. but yeah. overall, it's been a great experience. It's just great people, um, hardworking people. This is not an industry for people who are not passionate, who are not hardworking. And being with people like that, you just feel the positive energy. Sure. And it's, 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 it's a wonderful experience. Well, that, that's awesome. Well, listen, if you're ever in the Boot Hill of Missouri or, you know, in the Memphis area, that area, you know, give me a, give me a holler. I'll shoot down. I'm in St. Louis. And, you know, that's certainly, uh, you know, some cotton country there. And I, I love the fact that you deal with the farmers directly. And that is so cool. And uh, very, very, very nice. Well, uh, listen, folks, again, winnitex.com. Uh, Yvonne is, uh, I, I know her contact information is on some of the uh, NAUMD um, shared uh, paperwork and contact list. So feel free to reach out to her. Charles, it has been a, a pleasure speaking with you, really has. And uh, we we thank you for coming on to the uh, Uniformer podcast today. And uh, we just hope you enjoy the rest of your time in the States here. Thank you, Jeff. I had a great time.